quickly and naturally. We can begin to encounter God. We can begin to, to feel Him working in our hearts and our minds when we simply make space for Him. We just slow down and make time for that. I mean, when I started thinking about the list, I didn't feel a thing. I knew we were supposed to pray for these people. Yeah, I didn't feel anything. But then, like, when you make the space and push everything aside, you begin to walk in obedience. All of a sudden, God shows up. He begins to move on your heart. And then we begin to experience what it's like to begin to encounter the heart of God and begin to take on the mind of Christ. It's not just reading or thinking things. It's beginning to walk them out. Obedience and faith what begin to open the door for change in our lives. Oh, amen. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and continue. We are in week four of the K-Cup series. Who enjoyed the last week? Anybody? How is that? These sermons are hard to prepare for, let me tell you. I mean, here I am, you know, at my house, I'm preparing. I can't even. I mean, it's a heart tender item what these things are. These parables are so difficult to handle. I'm so, I am now realizing why, as a Christian, I've avoided them for so long. But, you know, I've seen them, I read over, oh, I don't understand this, let's keep going. And why, as a pastor, I never wanted to teach on them. Because the moment you start to handle the paragraph, they just instantly begin to work on you. Work on you. And it is just frustrating and difficult, but if you allow the Word of God to, to, to work on you, it creates change. It's a powerful thing. And so, you know, we had that question last week, you know, who are you? Traveler, the passerby, or the sinner. The truth is, most of us are, almost all of them are out of life in all different situations. The person hurting, the person you don't want to hurt, the person there to bring you. Who wants the blood room? Anybody? Stephen texted me my name. I'm not sure if, if something happened or not. Everyone's a jerk today. <laughs> Sharing the word, and now he's been making his trek to Jerusalem, you know, celebrate Passover. 
and also claimed to be the Passover lamb. And so he's got this way, heaven has mind, he knows he's about to die, he knows the pain and suffering. And we see in the scriptures that it's something that his human side is having difficulty with. He's having to wrestle with pain and fear, he feels alone, isolated. And so in this, his teachings begin to take a little bit of a turn. And what he begins to talk about now is his Exciting judgment. So he starts out his ministry by he's talking about kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. He starts out with the Sermon uh, on the Mount in Matthew 5, and he's sharing what his kingdom will look like. And then he begins to shift and he begins to speak about grace. And now he's starting to get to this final thing. It's almost like because time is getting short, he's trying to really nail home all of these things that are crucial. And so now he's getting serious with the disciples. And he has these weird series of events where now people are trying to come to him and trying to follow him. And yet the question is asked each time, you know, so how do I get to follow you? How do I get to inherit eternal life? And what's really odd is he keeps giving each person a different answer. And so his disciples are now getting really uneasy. Like, I thought we've been taught this whole time that, you know, it's to be saved we do this. And now every time that they're hearing him give these different answers, they're starting to get a little bit uneasy. Like, okay, is he changing his mind? Is this whole thing different? And so it takes us to where we are now, where um, he's on the final march towards Jerusalem and the cross, uh, and it's about to come to an end. This is the final stop before he reaches the city of his death. And on the road, his talk of death and resurrection and judgment has only increased with intensity and frequency. Now, I want you to understand what comes before and after this parable. When you read the Scriptures, okay, if you will never go to seminary or anything like that to learn how to read the Scriptures, learn this, okay? Read what's before and what's after, and you'll have a much better idea about what he's talking about, okay? Don't ever read a line or a paragraph, and go, oh, I got it, and walk away. Read what's before and what's after, okay? It, it, it's just like a conversation. If you walk in on a conversation, hear someone say something, you can take it completely out of context. Read before and after. So, what comes before this is he, here in Matthew 19, he has an encounter with the rich young ruler. We all know who this is, right? He's the man who comes with a genuine heart. And his question for God is, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, most of us who've been going through this series realize the first issue we have was he asked, what thing must I do? He's missing it already, right? But don't villainize this man. Okay, this is, this is respected as a, a, a sincere man who's desiring the kingdom of God. So he's someone who's lived his entire life doing all the things that most of us have failed to do. Okay, so he's a much better Christian, if you will. Obviously not Christian, he's a Jew, but he's a much better Christian than most of us are, okay? And he doesn't have wrong intentions. He has good intentions. Which, what's really interesting about this character is, again, he's very different than almost everyone else who's come asking about the kingdom. Almost everyone else is coming to get something from Jesus. This man seems to have a pure heart when he asks the question. And so it makes what he says to him so much more powerful. We'll get to that. Now, so you have in uh, Matthew 19, you've got this encounter with the returning ruler. And then you have Matthew 20, where you have the parable of the vineyard workers, which we're about to get to. And then what follows it, what follows it is his triumphal entry, meaning directly after this teaching, the next thing we see of Jesus is he's walking into Jerusalem. That's how close to the cross we are, okay? We're not sure if it was about three weeks or a week. Either way, he's within a month of his death. This is the last account we see of Jesus before he goes into Jerusalem to die, okay? This is the timing. 
It's easy for us to separate ourselves from the story, but again, put yourself in the shoes. If you knew when you were going to die, and you know you are taking your steps to that death, just imagine how serious it would be in your mind. Imagine how, how precise you would be with your time, with your words, with, with the people that you love and care about. You are, being, you are trying to make the most of every second you have left. That's exactly what we see with Jesus. So again, because we understand the context, it puts even more weight on this parable. Make sense? All right, let's continue. Let's go to Matthew 20. Matthew 20, verse 1. I will read the parable, and we will move on from there. I don't know why with these parable series, I really just want to read it out of my Bible. I mean, I encourage you all to read the Bible, okay? But, you know, typically we put it on the screen or something. I really just want to read it from my Bible today. Here you go. Matthew 20, verse 1. Remember, he just got done talking to... uh, the rich young ruler. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a day's wages for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again in about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Verse 7, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a day's wages. So when those who, who were hired first... They expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a day's wages. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us. Highlight that, okay? You have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of work in the heat of the day. Verse 13, but he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a day's wages? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, we have this tendency as people, okay, to hear what we want to hear and to forget what we don't want to hear, right? Okay. Almost every time I've ever read this in my life, I've always just kind of like skipped over verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. What does that even mean, right? Like, oh, what? who cares? Okay, now, we learned last week where this comes from. This comes from Matthew 5, with the Sermon on the Mount. One of the first things he ever taught about his kingdom. He's standing up, okay, he has an audience, he's telling people, this is what I am bringing you. My kingdom, where I rule, will be like this. The last will be first. The meek will inherit the earth. Basically, all of the lowly, all of the unwanted, everyone in your world who is worthless in my world will gain everything. It kind of stinks, doesn't it? You're like, okay, what's that mean? And so last week, we said the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we see that this man who's a Samaritan, okay, who in that culture was the least, the worst. He's a traitor. He's a liar. He's a half-blood, okay? I mean, I mean, he was a lot of bad things, and yet he's the hero of the story. He is the child of God in the story. He's the picture of Jesus. Think about that. He, 
Think about someone you hate. Okay, who do you think shouldn't be allowed in this church? Picture that person. That's a picture of Jesus in the parable. The lowly, the last, the unwanted. Okay, that person, the loser, this is the one who has place in my kingdom. And again, this, this stinking thing that we all hate, okay? He just puts it out there just to kind of, oh yeah, and by the way, the last will be first. And the first shall be last. And so everyone in the room goes, what does that even mean again? <laughs> right, okay. We will unpack it a little bit more. Here we go. So, so with this, before we dive too much in this, I want to explain uh, what we see with the encounter with the rich young ruler first. If you look over here in chapter 19, we have the encounter with, with the rich young ruler. We see that he comes up to God. He asks, you know, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds in verse 17. So if you guys have your Bibles, Matthew 19, verse 17. He's answering the question of what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which, by the way, is a pretty important question. Agreed? Okay. Would you like eternal life or you just want to die right now? Okay. So we want this answer, right? Here's his answer. Verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which, by the way, is, is a really frustrating answer, right? You're always like, just tell me what the answer is. Here he goes. Which, which, uh, which ones, the man inquired? Jesus replied. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, stop for a second. We've talked about this. He's been asked this question all throughout the Gospels, right? Typically, he has one answer. He, he, he has one answer, and he says, almost always, he tells me, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is what set up the last parable last week, right? Why didn't he say that? He talks about loving your neighbor, talks about all these other things which he never talks about. He talks about don't murder, don't, don't commit adultery. If you notice, okay, he is being graciously tricky, Okay, he's allowing the guy to go down the road. He asked what? He asked, what good thing must I do? And what's he do? He responds with actions, right? Don't murder, don't... Okay, right. But he's getting to the heart of it. Okay, he's leading him to the heart of it, which he's leading all of you this morning. Stay with me. What's the one thing he leaves out? Love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. This man knows the Scriptures, too. This man is well-studied in the Scriptures, he knows this answer as well, and he knows Jesus didn't say it to him. And so the question is why? So um, he goes on to verse 20. All these I have kept, the young man said, but what do I still lack? Again, this is not a bad guy. This guy is a better Christian than anyone in this room, okay? He is the picture of like, the perfect doer. He's doing everything right. How secure would you feel if you knew that you were the best Christian in the room? Be honest. I mean, if you knew I fast, but I haven't sinned in like 20 years, think about it. I mean, you would feel secure. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Yeah, there's security in that. I'm doing good. I'm doing better than them. I know that. They came to my house. Okay. Anyways, all right. So he's at least wise enough to know, even though he feels he has his ducks in a row, he knows something's missing. Here's the answer from Jesus. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, again, He's attacking that, that, that line of thinking. Okay, what must I do? Okay, again, it's, it's doing, it's being perfect. And he's saying, hey, you can't be perfect, and here's why. He said, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 
It's not about the guy's money. It's about what's attached to his money. You cannot love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength if something else is attached to your heart. This is always the answer of Jesus about the price of eternal life. I want everything. No one wants that answer. Again, if it was about going through the right steps, being a great Christian, all that stuff, this man would be in the club. But Jesus says, no, that's not it. Go sell everything. Go take that thing that your heart is attached to. Go take that thing you will not let your clutches off of and then give it to me, and then we're good. (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Right, everybody? Amen. Okay. Remember, this question is still the one we ask. Jesus, what must we do for eternal life? Whatever your heart is not willing to let go of, that's the price of admission. Still this day, that is what the price is. Here we go. <laughs> so, with all this being said, we see verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And again, it wouldn't matter that he had money if he didn't care about it. The problem was he cared about it. That's the problem. It's okay to like money. It's okay to like things. But it's not okay to attach yourself to them. Verse 23. Then Jesus said to to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I've heard so many different reasonings for what this passage is talking about. Okay, it's talking about a camel going through a gate in Jerusalem. You have to unpack the camel and go through. What it's really talking about is a needle and a rope. You have to put a rope through a needle. The whole point is very simple. It's hard. Okay, there you go. So no matter what he's talking about, I, I, I think it's pretty clear, right? It is hard for someone who has great wealth in this world to go through. Now, this can be anything. Again, he's talking about the heart, okay? If there's anything in this world that we have attached to that we see great wealth and value in in this world, it will be a hindrance to us going into the next world. And he's about to, he's about to hit this home in the next parable. Now, for anyone paying attention to, you know, to this parable in this setting, it's a kind of a harsh thing. Verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. This is the end of Jesus' ministry. They've been paying attention to sermons for a long time, okay? And they're shocked at this one, okay? They're astonished. Who then can be saved? We all know that his disciples were not the brightest, we're not the sharpest, we're not the best Christians, okay, again, we know they're Jews, but they were not the best anything, you know, besides losers. They're really good at that, they're great at that, okay? And they saw this guy and go, if he doesn't make it, what chance do we have? Whatever spiritual figure it is in your life, you, you know, just kind of, put, they're awesome, you know, whoever that is. If you saw that guy get turned away at the gate, you'd be If they got turned away. (laughs) Okay, they're scared. Okay, here we go. Verse 26. Jesus looked at them. I love this. Again, uh, I think it's the Gospel of Mark shows more of the emotion in this. It shows how Jesus looked on the rich young ruler with compassion. Again, he's not angry. Okay, he's he's, he's heart sick. Okay. And he sees this young man going off in sadness. And again, Jesus is now being moved, you know, to, to compassion and to sadness. And now his disciples are losing heart. And he does what? He just looks at them. And he's feeling it, okay? And so here's his response. 
He looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Don't you just hate when Jesus just like takes something and he just starts like, okay, so is it this or is it this? I mean, are we all in trouble? Should we all just start, you know, like selling everything we own or is it not that, you know? And what he's done here, he's opened the door for the big G word, grace. With man, it's impossible. There's no way for you to love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, all the time. It's impossible for you, you know, to be the good Samaritan, to love your neighbor the way Jesus would all the time. You will fail constantly. If you want proof of that, look at his disciples. You will fail constantly. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And he goes on and, you know... Peter, I just love Peter. He just blurts it out. Well, we've left a lot, Lord. <laughs> That's his response. Well, I left my family. I left my job. I don't have nothing, so I'm good. <laughs> you know. And, of course, the answer to Jesus is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything you've lost, you know, you'll return. It'll be returned to you a hundredfold. Don't worry about a single thing in this world that you give up for me. It will be returned to you a hundredfold in my kingdom. But I love what he puts on the end there. Uh, But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Don't you just hate that? He keeps adding it. Like, wouldn't you just wish he just stopped saying that? You're like, quit saying that. What are you trying to say? All right. Let's break down the parable. How about it? You guys want to break down the parable? So, in the same breath, he's just finished having this conversation. The context is, you know, how do we inherit eternal life? It's impossible, but with God it is possible. What's that mean? And his next response in the same conversation is, for the kingdom of heaven is like... This is the cake-up series. What's the kingdom of heaven like? The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he gives us his parable. Now, in this parable, there's some things that we need to understand. Here's the first thing. We need to understand the context, which, of course, was the rich young ruler. He had a good heart. He makes a mistake by asking what good thing must he do for eternal life. Uh, which, of course, is a segue for this whole thing about, you know, good work, this whole parable about workers, right? The next thing is um, the cost of admission is simple. It's everything. The more you think you have, the more it will hurt to realize that we are all losers, which is our only access to Jesus. Meaning, the more you think you have in this world, okay, Reality is what? We're all a mess. Look, I mean, can we all be honest, okay? When you're alone in your room, you're kind of a mess. Like, there's no one who has it all together at all. It's all a facade. No one is perfect. No one is at all, okay? Some of us have just learned a lot better to manage life. We've, we've learned a lot better how to keep things in order, okay? But no one has it together. The moment you realize that, you're so much closer. If Jesus were saying only losers could enter, then... So many people would have no chance to enter. But we also know in all the other parables that this door is open for everyone. And what this is a picture of is that we must be willing to take off the trappings of being a winner in this life. We must be willing to leave being a winner here behind. Be counted with the losers to truly win. Is that? There we go. Okay. <laughs> Because you're not really a winner anyway. I mean, you might have a nice house, you might have a great job, you might have a pretty bride, whatever it is, okay? But at the end of the day, you are bankrupt without Jesus. There's nothing you have of value. And we have to realize this. 
And so what Jesus is saying is simple. He's saying you have to be willing to trade in your chips, everything that you have of value in this world, and I'll trade you something back. This is the exchange. You cannot take what you have here with you. And it's not just this idea of, you know, like obviously you don't have your house in heaven. It's your heart must be fully in heaven before you get there. Let's get moving. We've got some stuff to cover. All right. The second thing to understand, okay, in this parable, we need to understand, you know, these two pictures of needle and grace. And so in, in 19, he, he says, you know, it's, it's harder, it's hard for, so hard for a rich man to get saved that it's like a camel going through a needle. Who is the only way to heaven? Jesus. He calls himself the gate. He calls himself the door. He, he calls himself the shepherd's gate, okay, to the pen. There's only one way into, into heaven. So who's the needle? It's Jesus. He's saying it's hard for a rich man to leave his riches behind to fully accept what I have to offer him. He's not talking about, you know, being perfect. He's talking about it's so hard for people to leave that behind to embrace me. And that's where I'm found. When you leave that behind. So remember, there's hope because the needle is not some guideline. It's a person. It's Jesus. It's the one who died for us. So even though it seems impossible, with God all things are what? possible. He was about to make it possible by dying on the cross. This is what he's talking about. It's not possible for you to make it, but I'm about to go make it possible. Hey, oh, come on us. Catch up. That's, that's good stuff. I don't know about you. Okay, moving on. Here's the next thing, okay? We have to understand the urgency of the parable. So, so now we are shifting from 19 to 20. We are getting into the parable of the vineyard workers. All right. Understand the urgency, meaning there's no reason a vineyard owner should be going out to get this many workers. Okay, he, he goes in the morning, right? Here's all the guys who, who are hanging around for a job, okay? The employment office, whatever. And he shows up and says, okay, who wants work? Let's go. And then he comes back at 10.30, comes back at noon, comes back at 2, comes back at 4, and comes back at 6 o'clock to get people. Why is there such urgency? And why is he so willing to take these people? Understand this, okay? These guys don't have work. Think about that. These guys have no jobs, okay? These are not other vineyard owners. These are not, you know, you know priests or, or uh, Levites. These are not people of high status. These are people who have no work. How do you look at people who have no, who, no work? We'll move on, right? <laughs> Here's how Jesus looks at them, Okay? And again, we see this open invitation, okay? He's taking people who have no job because no one else wants them. Make sense? And what's he doing? He's offering them a place. He's offering them identity and purpose, and there's urgency. This is the urgency of the kingdom of God, okay? There is an urgency for us to be rushing out to grab and to find and to pull and to lead and to draw and to get people in. This is the urgency that we are to be living with as Christians, and it's so easy for us to, to leave behind. Um, I just hit this, but the next thing for your notes, the workers, of course, okay? These men are without work, losers by society's standards, which only worsens with each of his returns. Think about this. When you come at, you know, 6 in the morning to find someone who's working, it shows some kind of value, right? The guy got up, he got dressed, he wants to work, right? When you come back at 6 o'clock, and there's some guy has been hanging around all day who wasn't there when you went the first time, by the way. What kind of guy is this? He just woke up, just got out of bed. He didn't take a shower. I mean, he was up to like 5 in the morning. I mean, think about this, okay? Each time he comes back, these guys are worse losers. That's the whole point, okay? He's coming back for guys who are just, just losers. Okay. 
of the words I was going to say. Okay, let's move on. Okay. Um, again, if this is a picture of the last, least, lost, little, and dead for Matthew 5. These men, again, are a picture of the last shall be first. Okay, the people that literally go last to the field are a picture. Okay, these people have a place, all right? <clears throat> At least they know they're losers. Have you ever worked with someone who just, how do I be nice about this, thought that they were just like the best thing on the earth and they just didn't even know that they weren't? I mean, come on, let's all, I mean, have you ever worked with that guy who just knew that he was the smartest man on the earth, but everyone else knew that he wasn't? Those are the hardest people to work with, right? I mean, but when you work with someone who knows they're not smart, hey, we can work with that, right? I mean, he knows he's a loser. Okay, <laughs> come on, stay with me, come on. This is not a bad thing in Jesus' eyes, okay? Just in our eyes, okay? For those of us who know that we're broken, he can work with that. That's simple. That's why these people are responding to the invitation so much quicker. That's why they are grateful for what God has to give them because they have nothing else to have in this world. So what God has to offer is great value. Um, Let's not be too quick to overlook something here at the end. If you notice... uh, Where'd it go? Oh, look at the conditions that these guys are working under. These guys are working in Palestine. Okay, I mean, can you imagine the heat? These guys are working. The ones who went first are working all day long. These are not good conditions. And if you notice in chapter 19, when Jesus, when he answered Peter, he's talking about, for those of you who lose everything in this world and who suffer for my name, who are persecuted, the heat and the, and the difficulty and the toil on the earth that we see in this parable, it's a picture of suffering and sacrifice for Jesus. I'll explain more of that in a second. Moving on, you can see here in, uh, in verse 2, we see that you know, he makes an agreement with every person. He's very straightforward. His offer is always plain and clear to us. And so there's always this agreed-upon amount. And this is going to make a lot more sense here in a second when we come back. I'm having to fly through. I know we had a lot of other things, and I'm having to kind of go quickly. I'll tie, tie it all up here in a second. If you're taking notes, here's the next thing. Note the responses, meaning note how they respond to what he does and note how he responds to them. So here's the setting, okay? He's got a bunch of losers all working this field, okay? And the way it always works, you know, somehow even among losers, there becomes ranking. Well, he's more of a loser than I am, okay? Well, I've been, at least I've been out here working. That guy, he just got here at 6 o'clock. He's a bigger loser than I am. Have you guys ever done that before? When I played basketball, the best thing we used to like to do, we used to like to take the guys on the bench and like have them play each other. It was awesome. You know, okay, I'm so mean. We were all mean, okay? Just, just acknowledge it. We used to just, you know, it's funny. It's like, hey, these guys are terrible, but they're going at it, you know? Who's the worst of the worst, you know? That's what's going on here in the field. Okay? You got guys going, well, at least I'm better than that loser. I might be a loser, but I'm not that loser. Funny, okay, funny, but this is exactly what every one of us do to each other. This is how we measure spirituality. I become secure that I'm getting saved. Jesus loves me because I look at you. <laughs> I go, at least I'm not that person. And then you look at someone else, at least I'm not that person. And it's just this constant cycle. We often think about comparisons and trying to pull people down, but often we compare to push ourselves up. We want to find the person in the room that we feel secure because we know that we're better than that person. At least I'm not the worst of the worst of the worst. I might be ugly, but at least I'm not that ugly. I mean, come on. This, this, hey, come on now. Jesus never said that there's no losers on this earth. He said, in my kingdom, we're all winners. Not yet. Okay. 
And so understand this. Again, I mean, we are laughing about this, but this goes all the way back to we replace grace with works every time we compare ourselves to each other. Think about that. The moment I become secure in anything I've done, the moment I feel like a good Christian, the moment I feel, you know, I go home after, you know, praying or fasting, the moment I find my security with Jesus from anything I've done, I'm replacing grace with my own work. Think about that for a second. The moment I look at someone in this room and I say, man, at least I'm not there. I am pushing grace out of my life and I'm standing on my own work. At least I've done more than that person's done. This is what's going on in the field. The moment they get there, they're comparing each other. Well, see, that guy just got, look at him. You know he just woke up. Okay, anyways. And it goes on. And so what happens here is it's very important to see how they respond to each other. And one of the lines here is that they got very angry because he made them equal. Think about that. So here's the owner's plan. He goes, well, I promised the guys who came first to give them a full day's wages. And everyone else, I said I'd pay them what's fair. Which, by the way, if you were working all day long and said face showed up, okay, who's not the brightest, okay, who's not the best at the job, showed up and worked for one hour, and they got paid exactly what you got paid, does that seem fair to you? <laughs> You're closer to Jesus than I am, brother. I'd be like, I'd be like, I'd be like, you know, I'm not sure what kind of, you know, ship you're running here, buddy, but this is messed up, all right? Like, I worked my butt off. This guy, enough said, okay? But to Jesus, he was paying them what's fair, which, by the way, just says this. We went over the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is a parable that really examines us, shows us who we are, who we are to be. This parable is showing who God is. Does that make sense? Okay, it's a parable where God says, this is what I want to do. So what? I don't care what you think about it. This is what I'm doing. You think it's not fair. This is my fairness. Okay, the fairness of grace is this. No one gets what they deserve. Think about that for a second. This is the fairness of grace. No one on that field realized that they were a loser. Because <laughs> the moment they saw another loser, they said, well, at least I'm not a loser anymore because that guy's a loser. None of them d- got what they deserved. What they deserved was no work. What they deserved was to not be invited What you deserve is not love. It's not the kingdom of heaven. It's punishment. But the fairness of God is grace. The fairness of God says no one gets what they deserve. Everyone gets what I want them to get. Think about that for a second. His pay was never based on their work, ever. It was never based on anything that they could ever earn. And this is the thing that's the hardest for us to to get into our hearts and our minds. Nothing you will ever receive from God is based on anything that you deserve. It's based on his love for you. What happens here is for most of us who are losers at the last, but for most of us who know how much we've, you know, messed up and fallen, we go, yes. And for everyone who's been here working all day, all the people who've been doing all the right things, right? All the people who, you know, who weren't out at the bar last night, you know, for all all, all the guys of you in here who have been trying to be righteous and trying to pray, you go, well, that's not fair. Understand who he's talking to. He's talking to Jews. Centuries of living by rules and laws to be perfect. And he's saying, actually, the Gentile over here who's never even heard of me before, he's the same as you. 
He's going to get the same pay. Your entire history as a nation has been striving to be perfect and suffering. And this guy over here who never even heard of Yeshua is about to receive the same prize that you are. And everyone gets a little uncomfortable. What are you talking about? This is the fairness of grace. No one gets what they deserve. We can just leave right there. And of course, what we see is that the losers are the losers. The ones who came last, the ones who worked an hour at most, when they open up their paycheck and they see that they just got paid, you know, as if they worked all day, they just go, ooh, okay, good. And they walk off. They don't say a word. They are appreciative. They know that they, didn't, they just got something that they didn't deserve. And then all the Christians. I've been going to church my whole life. I've been trying to be right. I've been trying to do the right things. I've prayed. I've, I've gone to church. I've fasted. I've tried my best. And they open up their pay. And they just heard what that guy got paid. And they open it. Instantly, they begin to grumble. Because we don't want to be the same as the person next to us. Think about that. It's not because you're a bad person. It's because it's hard for me to feel secure when there's no proof. It's hard for me to look, it's hard for me to accept that even though I have done everything wrong, I have not earned a single thing that I'm going to get this. Here's an example. Have you ever tried to give something to someone? Just a big gift. Okay, most people just cannot accept it. You want to give this to, why? I, you know, I, you know I, I didn't do anything. I didn't, didn't earn it. You ever tried to pay for someone's meal before? Just a random stranger. See how they react. They know there has to be strings attached. You're trying to sell something to me. You're trying to give me a track. You're trying to do something to me, right? That there's no way you're doing this just to do this. Because that's not how this world works. You don't get things for free. What do we pride ourselves in right here in America? Because we're able to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're able to earn our own living. We're able to work for it, right? And it feels good. Come on, stay with me. It feels good to work and earn it, right? And Jesus takes that away from us. You didn't earn a thing, son. I did. And if you can't accept that, If you can't accept that, he, there is judgment. Don't get me wrong. This is a parable on judgment. What is he judging? The people who failed? No. He is judging the people who will not accept the free gift. The people who will not receive the kingdom of heaven are the ones who insist on working, earning, striving, making, judging, finding ways to get in on their own. The hardest thing about the kingdom of God is that it's something that comes with no strings attached except one thing, death to everything else in our life. That's the most difficult thing about the kingdom of God. What's the price? Everything and nothing. If you have nothing, it costs you nothing. If you have a lot, it's going to cost you a lot. Think about that for a second. Again, think about this. If you have nothing to lose, the price seems pretty low. But if you think that you have much to lose in this world, the price seems steep. Now, the truth is, the price is low for everyone. It's just, it's just a matter of us being confused or not. 
this is supposed to be good news, but most of us take it as bad news. I mean, think about that again, you know. Most of us in this room, we are the, the workers who arrived first. We've been working for this. We've been striving for this. And so something that, that God chose to do to show us his love, we see it as punishment. So why are you going to punish me? With my boys, if I were to say, all right, Jude, you know, the first one of you kids to clean up the whole room, you know, gets ice cream. And if I saw them competing, if my older one won, and then I took them both to get ice cream, do you have any idea what would happen? But I won! What are you talking about? But I love both of you. It's my ice cream. It's not yours. You didn't earn anything. The moment you walk out of the room, I'm going back in there to straighten it up the right way. <laughs> you think you did the right job, but you know, you're four. Is it hitting home for you yet? This is the judgment of God. Will you accept his gift? You have to begin to read the Scriptures for what they are. Just like with the parable of the seeds. He sows the seeds to everyone. No one does anything to make it grow, but the people who the kingdom of God begins to grow in are the ones who don't resist it. Just receive it. So how do we respond to this? Here's the first thing we do. The the way that we respond to this, we have to first accept His terms. His offer is clear. If you can accept that his reward cannot be earned or deserved, then it's yours. This is the obstacle of grace. There are a few people, if anyone in this room, who is more competitive than I am. Okay? I feel most secure when I feel like I am doing something for God. When I feel valuable to God because, hey, God, I do so much for you, that's when I feel secure in my soul with God. How messed up is that? From day one, I was competing with everyone around me. If I knew someone else prayed this long, I'd pray five minutes more. If I knew that this person understood scriptures that much, I was going to understand it just a little bit more. If I, I mean, oh my goodness, can you believe how ridiculous that is? The challenge of grace is that we have to be willing to stand still, put our hands out, and just accept it. And I'll let other people accept it as well. That's the whole part about loving your neighbor as well. Can you be okay when they get the same gift you get? Here's the second thing we have to do. We have to embrace losing in order to win. The sooner we learn that winning in this world is really losing, the sooner we can join the ranks, the last lowly losers in the dead who win the ultimate prize of eternal life in Christ. What is the picture of Christianity that we get, guys? The cross. We have a picture of dying on the cross with Jesus and then being resurrected, right? We baptize people to make the picture clear. You're alive, and when you recept eternal life, the old you has to die, and the new you comes out, right? Being last. Letting everything that you tie your identity to, your worth to, your value to in this world die so you can be planted and rooted in God. We have to lose in this world to win in eternity. The third thing is we have to get to work in his fields. While our work doesn't earn us a thing, there's still a harvest that needs laborers. And it is to be our expression of gratefulness. Get to work. Here's the last thing. Look forward to payday. 
There's nothing like payday. His, his reward is extravagant, extravagant, excessive, and to be eagerly anticipated. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close this out. The biggest thing I want to encourage you on today is that 